Hello and welcome to the DMA Politics Podcast. My name is Michael Sturrock and I'm the Public Affairs Manager at the DMA. Um, If you haven't listened to us before, welcome and I hope you enjoy the podcast. We try generally and dissect what has happened in the week prior or a couple of weeks prior and talk a little bit about other things going on, perhaps in the data marketing industry or with someone who has got a particular issue or specialty that they might be able to tell us a lot more about. Um, so today is a, quite a special episode because I have just returned from the Labour Party conference and that took place from Saturday to uh, Wednesday. And there uh, on Sunday, I spoke to John Nicholson on talk radio in the afternoon. So first of all, I'm going to play a bit of that. And then afterwards, I'm going to uh, let you hear the conversation I had with Craig Dillon, who is the founder of Westminster Digital. And they uh, run the social media accounts for all sorts of think tanks, uh, charities and politicians. So with Craig, I will be talking a bit about what has happened at Labour Conference and then hearing a bit more about his opinions on the political landscape and also his role in advertising uh, political campaigns on social media and a bit about the landscape there because that in recent times has been quite a controversial topic uh, in the EU referendum. Of course, there was lots of complaints about the way in which uh, the Leave campaign and indeed the Remain campaign targeted ads to people online and so we'll have a bit of discussion about that and how he sees the future of political advertising. But first I wanted to mention a bit about the House of Commons coming back together last night because we saw, I mean we've we've been saying over and over if you've been reading articles or listening to the podcast how extraordinary these political times are but the consensus among people in journalism and wider politics is that last night in the House of Commons chamber, which was the first uh, sitting after Parliament came back after the Supreme Court ruled that prorogation was illegal, uh, last night's sitting was one of the most unpleasant uh, and angry and generally incredible scenes to watch. Um, So I want to just talk a bit about that to start with because things have been getting more and more polarised in politics as we know it and it's worth listening to a couple of the speeches by uh, the MPs last night um, because the the show essentially was kicked off by uh, the Attorney General Geoffrey Cox who came back to um, respond to the fact that Parliament had been recalled after uh, the government's prorogation of Parliament was ruled illegal and he the government are trying to express their frustration with the fact that they cannot call a general election or the opposition won't let them call a general election. They see the way forward as allowing uh, the British public to have an election to perhaps send, or they hope, to be sent back with a, a renewed majority in order to pass the Brexit deal that they want. However, the opposition have managed to pass an amendment which says if the government don't get a Brexit deal by the 18th of October, then they will uh, have to write to the EU and request an extension. And the opposition parties say once that has happened, then they will be happy to go into a general election. But until then, the opposition aren't holding them, uh, aren't allowing them to have an election. So Geoffrey Cox was expressing his, his frustration at that. And at one point, he said it was a moral outrage that Parliament was sitting, or they had the Parliament had no moral authority to sit there. And that, to say the least, ticked off the opposition and it began with a speech by Barry Shearman, who was. Uh, responding to Geoffrey Cox. Listen to this. Mr Speaker, I came 
came into the chamber today thinking I felt sorry for the Attorney General. But as he started, I did. Fair enough. But every word he has uttered, no shame today, no shame at all. The fact that this government cynically manipulated the prorogation to shut down this House so that he couldn't work as a Democratic Assembly. He knows that that is the truth. And to come here with his barrister's bluster to obfuscate the truth and for a man like him, a party like this and a leader like this, this Prime Minister, to talk about morals and morality is a disgrace! I, uh, I'm not sure I could discern in that marshmallow of, of the rhetoric any actual question. But, but insofar there was a question, there's an answer. If the, if the honourable gentleman thinks that the government should no longer be governing, tell his leader to bring a motion of no confidence this afternoon. Tell his leader to agree to a simple one-line statute that fixes the election by a simple majority, and we would be delighted to meet him wherever he chooses in front of the electorate. Who will judge whether the machinations which he supports the devices he resorts to in order to make sure this dead parliament continues are right or wrong. So that gives you a, just a small taste of the really quite extraordinary uh, rhetoric that is coming from both sides. Barry Shearman just apoplectic with rage at the government uh, for not being or not, not coming back with their tail between their legs after being uh, ruled as unlawful by the Supreme Court. And the government indeed seem completely resistant to admit that they have done anything wrong, even though the Supreme Court itself has ruled uh, their decision to prorogue Parliament as uh, illegal. Uh, so that was one, and generally the discussion did not get any better. Sooner or later, the, the whole House of Commons descended into complete um, furore. All sorts of names were being thrown back and forth by the government and the opposition, and the Prime Minister came under quite significant criticism for the language he has used historically uh, and in the in the chamber uh, about the opposition. He says the, the act that forces him to go and request an extension from the EU is the Surrender Act and the implication with that, of course, is that the opposition are traitors. And here's another clip from MP Paula Sheriff, who uh, has received a lot of death threats herself and she wanted to highlight that the Prime Minister's language was, as she saw, unacceptable. I genuinely do not seek to stifle robust debate, but this evening the Prime Minister has continually used pejorative language to describe an Act of Parliament passed by this House. And I'm sure that you would agree, Mr Speaker, that we should not resort to using offensive, dangerous or inflammatory language for legislation that we do not like. And we stand here... Mr Speaker, under the shield of our departed friend, with many of us in this place subject to death threats and abuse every single day. And let me tell the Prime Minister that they often quote his words, surrender act, betrayal, traitor, and I for one am sick of it. We must moderate our language and it has to come from the Prime Minister first. So I would be interested in hearing his opinion. He should be absolutely 
So again, you heard the, the level of tension within the House of Commons was so high. The MP that interjected uh, for the second time there was Tracy Braben, who replaced Joe Cox, the murdered MP, of course, a few years ago. Uh, so since the exchanges last night, Parliament has descended into a huge row over the language that was used and the tone in which the speeches were delivered. And both sides are facing criticism of how they dealt with the issues in hand. So we'll leave that there. Plenty more is to happen this week, including debates over whether the Parliament can be uh, put in recess for the first half of next week for the Conservative Party conference. I suspect the opposition won't take ki too kindly to that suggestion. Uh, and further debates, I'm sure, over the language and tonality of people, uh, people's speeches in Parliament, I, I'm sure, will be called into question furthermore. But now I want to take you back to a mere four days ago, though it seems much, much longer, uh, to Sunday afternoon when I was heard on talk radio with John Nicholson, who is a broadcaster and former MP himself. I'll be on talk radio again this Sunday, reporting from the Conservative Party conference, and you can catch me at 20 past four. For now, please enjoy. Decisive Debate, The Week, with John Nicholson on Talk Radio. 
Hello again, welcome back. It's 22 minutes past four and you're listening to John Nicholson here on Talk Radio. You can give us a call about any of the subjects we're covering until seven o'clock. Our number is 0344 499 1000. You can text talk and your message to 8722. Text will cost you 25 pence plus, of course, your standard network rate. Or you can tweet us for absolutely nothing at Talk Radio or you can tweet me at Mr. John Nicholson and I always try and get back to all the tweets that I'm sent. Uh, I'm delighted to cross over now to the Labour Party conference where Michael Sturk, political commentator, has been roving around getting the mood of the conference. Michael, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, John. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for uh, joining us this afternoon. Now, it's your job to go from one conference to the next. Uh, last week, Lib Dems, of course. This mm -hmm. week, the Labour Party. Yeah. You're then going on to the Conservative Party. So it must be very interesting to see the different kind of mood that there is in each of the party conferences. I would have thought that the Labour Party heading towards a general election, if that happens, and it seems highly likely, would be buzzing. They would feel that they had uh, Westminster and number 10 in their sights. And yet the start of the conference has been such a mess. Do they, does the average delegate feel angry that uh, their conference has been sabotaged or are they buoyed and hopeful about the results of the election? Well, you've got to remember, conferences about more than just what goes on the main hall. There's all sorts of stands, there's loads of things going on, policy discussions, there's lobbyists, think tanks, uh, campaign groups, all there trying to set up their stands and get, get their um, issue that they have forward. And so it's a really exciting place for quite a lot of people uh, if they want to meet politicians and try and get people on side and try and get a bit um, of publicity for whatever they're looking for. So on that front, it's the usual um, buzz. I mean, I'm sitting here in the talk radio stand and around me there's several other businesses and things and people are milling around and having very big conversations. But yes, underlying all this is the undeniable political discussion that goes on in the hall, which is already, uh, there's a red mist descending, uh, to uh, use a terrible analogy, but um, there's yeah certainly some... Uh, people who are not too happy with what's been happening in the last couple of days. Now, I imagine that uh, most delegates would have thought that the big tussle would be over the party's Brexit position, because mm. I think I'm right in saying that the majority of delegates are anti-Brexit, and they certainly want, like Emily Thornberry, the shadow foreign secretary, for the party to have a much clearer, more coherent line about Brexit. Uh, but instead of that, they ended up with this skirmish on the first day about whether or not Tom Watson's job would be taken away. How, how angry are delegates about that? Yeah, well, there's, there's, again, this kind of just shows the divide that's in Labour. And I mean, it has been here historically between the sort of uh, harder left led by Jeremy Corbyn and then there's the, the Blairites on the right. And as, as much as that has maybe diminished in the last couple of years, it's starting to flare up quite quite dramatically again. So you have those on Tom Watson's side who um, are very glad that he's in, he is in a leadership position because they're quite fearful of what just a lone Jeremy Co uh, Corbyn uh, government would do uh, or leadership would do. Um, but then again, you've got those on the Corbyn side who are just as unhappy about Tom Watson being there. So you've really got a position uh, in which both leaders of the Labour Party are detested by huge swathes of the party and you've got to ask how tenable that is over the long term. In terms of Brexit, where do you think the mood of the conference is? I've um, 
I've argued that uh, it's certainly my experience of Labour Party conferences and Labour Party members that I know, they're overwhelmingly anti-Brexit and they want the party's position to be clear. Is there a sense of frustration that Jeremy Corbyn has been sitting on the fence for so long, even amongst Corbyn's supporters, because he was on the Andrew Marr programme. He refused, I think, three times to answer the question whether he's for or against the European Union and membership of the European Union. And uh, when he was with Border Television, I think it was yesterday or the day before, he, he avoided the question eight times. That doesn't seem like a very tenable position to no. take as you enter an election campaign. Indeed. And I think what the leadership have been trying to do uh, from Jeremy Corbyn is to, well, deliberately not take a clear stance on Brexit in the hope that it doesn't become this just partisan issue, Tories for Brexit, Labour anti-Brexit, because we all know Jeremy Corbyn perhaps has certain feelings about Brexit that he's not being entirely honest about all the time. However, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to see... Um, the Labour Party taking a clear position anytime soon. I think Corbyn is still holding on, hoping his gamble is going to pay off at some point. And, you know, to some extent, I thought earlier today, maybe maybe it will be the case that um, Labour's position, which is to win an election, renegotiate the deal, and then decide later whether to support the deal or not. Could that work? In theory, yes, but it's going to make a lot of people angry in the meantime, and certainly it'll turn a lot of people off who would be very, very handy for them. And yeah, as you say, the overwhelming majority of delegates here will be uh, anti-Brexit. Uh, or against Brexit, and it's the people in the constituencies, particularly in the North East, who are for Brexit, and they don't really turn up to conferences. So, again, you've got yet another divide that's showing between those active members who are anti-Brexit and those, uh, at, but with the leadership trying to appeal to Labour voters who are at home just now. Some suggestion in a few of the papers today that uh, Mr Corbyn has pretty much had enough. He's uh, 70 years of age. He's obviously, you know, quite fit and active, but it's a very pressurising job. It's a job that he never really wanted, was surprised to get. Some suggestion that he's He's, you know, he's he's ready to chuck in the towel. I know some of his supporters say, well, that's absolute nonsense. It's press gossip. Mm. It's not true. Are the delegates talking about that? I, I don't get that sense, to be honest. I think, you know, there's always this, this talk of coups and when, when uh, particularly in Labour, when is the, the next leadership challenge going to be? And we've already had Tom Watson's yesterday. But... I, I don't think he's going to go anywhere anytime soon. I think he's absolutely determined to lead Labour into the next election and beyond. And I imagine that uh, the Corbynistas are going to be pretty worried about who comes after him. They mm. certainly don't want to see Tom Watson. I think relationships with Keir Starmer are pretty steady at the moment. They've been mm. wobbly in the past. Emily Thornbury, however, has uh, she's the Shadow Foreign Secretary. Uh, she's caused a great annoyance by appearing at a rally for the People's Vote campaign and saying that not only should the Labour Party be uh, supporting uh, the cancellation of Brexit and a People's Vote, mm. uh, if indeed people vote for that after a referendum, but the Labour Party, rather other than the Liberal Democrats, should be leading that campaign. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just the, this is the issue with having quite a few strong personalities with remarkably different uh, views at the, at the top of any leadership of a party. I mean, you've got to remember, Labour is the largest political force in Europe. And this, in fact, is, well, uh, the advertising banners tell me it's the largest political event in Europe. So you've got such a broad church of people that are here. And it's kind of inevitable that a lot of them will make their way to the top and they'll still have those fairly fundamental differences. Michael, great pleasure to speak to you. That is uh, Michael Sturck, political commentator, out and about, kind of gauging the mood 
of the Labour Party conference. We'll be taking a look through the papers uh, when I come back after this short break. It's half past four and you're listening to John Nicholson here on Talk Radio. Hope you enjoyed that. I will be, as I say, back on Talk Radio this Sunday at 20 past four and then not the following Sunday, but the weekend after, which I think is the 11th, uh, the Sunday the 11th, I'm pretty sure, uh, I'll be on then at 4.20 as well at the SNP conference from Aberdeen. So now I'm going to take you back to Tuesday when I sat down at the Labour conference uh, with Craig Dillon, the founder of Westminster Digital, and we dissect a bit what about what had been happening at Labour conference and then talk a bit more about the world of online political advertising. So this is the last excerpt, so I will say cheerio for now. Thanks very much for listening. And today is a very special episode because we are broadcasting live from the Labour Party conference which is happening in Brighton. And it is also a very special episode because I'm sitting here with Craig Dillon, who is the CEO of Westminster. Founder. 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 <laughs> Founder of Westminster Digital, which uh, helps well, quite a number of MPs with their social media and online presence. Yep. And so he's going to be talking a bit about the world of social media advertising for political figures later on. Uh, but it's been uh, quite an amazing few days here. Uh, this morning has been uh, a moment of unprecedented, unprecedented constitutional history with the Supreme Court ruling that Boris Johnson acted unlawfully when he gave the advice to the Queen and asked her to prorogue Parliament. But we'll come on to that in a minute because uh, it is day, what was it, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, day four of five of the Labour Conference and there have been plenty of things happening here uh, as well. So, um, Craig, what's been happening the last few days? What's been, what's been on the cards? Um, it's, there's a lot. It's interesting because Labour Conference is quite different to the Conservatives in the way that they actually vote on things and pass motions and mm. things like that, which is quite interesting. Um, and there was a lot of confusion about because one of the uh, unions came out and said they weren't going to back Corbyn's um, policy suggestion or, or to, to remain neutral, you know. Um, but then it passed anyway. So actually we thought there was a slight chance that the Labour Party was going to become a, a Remain party, but um, they are now a um, neutral party. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost quite a nuts thing watching them vote in the hall because they have, it's all done by, well, pop, popular, popular votes, but they, they don't have any electronic voting. They don't have to walk out into the lobbies like MPs. They just stick their hands up. So actually the vote yesterday was really close and the party leadership um, called the vote for the way that they, they wanted the policy to go, uh, which was to remain ambiguous on the Brexit policy. So the big debate in Labour was to whether to endorse Remain or uh, keep doing what they have been doing, which is to remain uh, ambiguous on their Brexit policy. So they voted to assess the Brexit position at a later date, and then they will come out. Yeah, they will come out either in favour or against um, well, whatever whatever Brexit deal that is uh, on the table at that time, which. You know, to some extent, it's maybe clever because it's it's avoiding making Brexit just a partisan issue. I think it's very clever um, in terms of strategy because they have a tough problem because half it is it's half of their members are Remainers and, and another half are also Leavers. Yeah. So, you know, they are in a tough position. Whereas you know, on the Conservative side, they have a majority that that want to leave, so it's a little bit of an easier position. Exactly, exactly. Um, so they are in a tough tough call, but it's it's just not great publicity wise for them to absolutely and that, and that divide between the 
uh, I guess the Remainers and the and the Leavers and the Labour yeah. Party is also a, to some extent is similar to the divide between the I guess old uh, well old New Labour the New Labour lots that yeah. that sort of prefer that style of leadership under Tony Blair and then the the more left wing of the party which is uh, being championed by Jeremy Corbyn and that. I also flared up on Saturday when they tried to oust the deputy leader Tom Watson, who is that was a mess. Yeah, to many seen as someone who is on the more Blairite wing of the party, but uh, that failed as well. And they've cancelled his speech today. They've cancelled his speech today. That's that's very convenient, yeah. isn't it? Um, I mean, so they they given what's happened with the Supreme Court, they've had to move. Well, tomorrow's speech is forward a day, yep. but that does mean that they've... It was interesting, though, because all of the... Um, I forget what they were called, but the sort of super left-wing uh, Labour lot were outside uh, and lobbying for... They were doing a mass walkout of Tom Watson's speech. Oh, really? Thing. So I think, actually, maybe for him, he probably was quite happy that he didn't have those visuals of, of uh, everyone getting up and walking out when he was yeah, talking. Yeah, absolutely. But it is really divided here. It is really... Um, quite interesting and you can feel that it's, it's quite different I think to previous years whereas la- last year in uh, where was it uh, Liverpool yep. while it was while the, the Brexit divide was still present it was a much more cohesive in the environment there wasn't the divides just weren't so blatantly yeah, obvious yeah. as they are this year. And there's people, as you say, yeah. going round, just actively well, trying to undermine people also, in the party. And also, I think what, what I've noticed as well is that a lot of the Blairite side of the party have actually stayed away. Mm. Um, a lot of the more centrist MPs aren't here. A lot of the people I know from Labour that tend to be, you know, from, say, Labour students or from, uh, like, LGBT Labour and all of those sort of more sort of centrist uh Communities and mm. just haven't come yeah. because they just don't feel welcome. That's know, right. So. And we were speaking to Darren Jones earlier, who's um, an MP for Bristol West, I think it is, but he uh, is co-chair of the APPG on data analytics. And he was saying he is he's from that wing of the party, the more the more Blairite wing of the party. And he says he's only come down to do his events, uh, and then he's leaving because he doesn't feel particularly welcome. And that's yeah. that's just the reality. I think you'll of see the same at Tory conference, though. I think it'll be very heavy Brexiteer, mm. and all of the sort of centrist um, Tories um, won't won't be coming. Do you think so, so? It's interesting. Politics has definitely become much more uh, divided. Yeah, absolutely. The, the extremes of both sides. Do you think it will be after? If this Brexit issue is ever resolved, do you think it will be quite easy for the parties to go back into those old ways, or do you think this is um, this is drawing more permanent lines? No, I think they're pretty permanent, and I think one of the biggest problems that we have now is that a lot of people are almost risking everything mm. over this one issue. They are losing all credibility. We've seen, you know, um, some people on, on on all sides of the parties go absolutely mental. Mm. And and I think what they're forgetting is that, you know, as much as this to them is the biggest thing in the world, five years, ten years, and this is all done. And I think, you know, we'll look back and there was a lot of uh, people that were very talented in politics that, you know, just let it, they just let themselves get obsessed by this mm, thing. No, that's true. And a lot of them have defined their they have, political yeah. careers I mean, by it. And I mean, they've left... The, you know, e- even now, a lot of these Tories that have joined the Lib Dems, you know, if you look at their voting records, you know, they're not Lib Dems at all. Um, no, but, you know, all absolutely. they care about is this Brexit, Brexit issue. issue. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that these issues are going to um, go. But I think what we're also going to get is a n- new wave of, of young politicians because what we've seen is everyone now is interested in politics. You yeah. Know, everyone. Um... And, you know, even some of the candidates that we're working with who are standing in the next election, whenever it may be, mm. um, are, you know, really interesting, really passionate and young and, and, and also from uh, 
backgrounds that actually matter, you know, not just, you know, posh kids who went to a fancy school mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, I'll just be an MP. Yeah. It's people actually want to make a difference. So I think you're going to see quite a lot of changes in the way the political world works. That's interesting. We'll come back to that in just a second. Uh, but the, by far the biggest news that has come out of this week has happened outside the, outside the Labour conference and from the Supreme Court this morning, uh, which made their landmark decision ruling against the Boris Johnson government prorogation of Parliament. Now, you might remember that a few weeks ago, was it a few weeks ago now, that Boris Johnson um, prorogued Parliament, essentially cancelled the sittings of Parliament for about five weeks. Um, which meant that MPs couldn't uh, ask ministers questions, they couldn't sit in the chamber for a start, they couldn't hold select committees, and they couldn't do a whole host of other things that they would have been able to do during this time uh, anyway. The parliament was due to go on recess, but they were still able to do a lot of their parliamentary functions, which they were not allowed to do. So that was challenged in the the courts, uh, both in England and in Scotland, and both cases went through to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court this morning ruled against the government. So they said that the prorogation was unlawful and that Parliament had not been prorogued. It was as if, Lady Hale said, it was as if they had handed a blank piece of paper, not an order paper of prorogation to, um, in, in the House of Lords. So essentially, parliamentarians are getting on trains going back to London. Yeah, back in. And also it means that the session is still going. Yeah. So the session that started in 2017, already the longest running session since like 200, 300 years or something, mm. is now back on. Back on. And all of those bills that the government dropped and, and things like that are all back on. There'll be votes on them and all those sorts of things. Absolutely. So, um, and there'll be a lot of angry parliamentarians trying to make the government look as stupid as possible, which yeah. is quite hard to do, given how yeah. bad they look already. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it's, not, it's not great. Although, if you think about it from a strategy point of view, it plays perfectly into the current administration's uh, tactic of uh, people versus establishment. Yeah. Um, so if anything, I think this might actually go down quite well on the ground among average people. Really? I think so. they're going to, especially among Brexiteers, mm-hmm. it's going to look like more meddling judges getting involved trying to stop Brexit, even though they made it clear that it wasn't about Brexit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that they've gone out and said it was, you know, majority of people don't even understand what proroguing means. <laughs> all they're going to see is a thing that says the judges are saying that Boris Johnson was wrong and they all say, no, he's right. We need to, you know, so um, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I don't think, you know, we saw it here earlier, the sort of Westminster bubble like imploded on itself. With, you know, everyone's like literally like shaking with excitement. Mm. Uh, as Diane Abbott and Emily Thornby like hugging each other, jumping <laughs> up and down things. I was just like, oh my God. Whereas, you know, 99% of the country mm-hmm. would just be like, oh, well, God, what now? Here we go again, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So interesting. So, do you think tomorrow morning we'll see on the front page of the Daily Mail another, uh, what do you call them? The not broadsheets. Enemy of the, the people. The, yeah, exactly. We see more. Oh more, yeah. More, yeah. I think they're going to go hard on it. Really. I think. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. I, one of my favourite ones was uh, a tweet I saw was because um, you know she was wearing this spider brooch. Oh yeah. <laughs> Someone said Spider-Man defeated the Hulk. Because <laughs> remember Boris said he's like <laughs> yeah, the of Hulk. Course. That's um, brilliant. Uh, so Spider Woman, they said. Spider Woman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, I think that um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting 
twist in the story. I mean, I just always, I just think, what, what else can happen? Mm. <laughs> what God next? knows, God knows. <laughs> you know, I really didn't think they would rule against it. I don't think many people thought that they would. I thought they might, you know, issue something and give them sort of a slap and say it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't proper. There should have been more planning, but you know, it was, he does have the power to do it, but no, they went. They were absolutely emphatic. They went yeah. for the jugular, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, absolutely yeah, did, yeah. So that's uh, fascinating. That brings a whole different twist into the, well, as you say, the, the craziness that is going on already. And we'll, ultimately, what, what is it going to change? Maybe not that much because Parliament can go back to sitting, sure, but if Boris Johnson and his government are so committed to leaving on the 31st, they might... We've got 37 broke, days 30, until we leave 37 now. days. 37, if they're right. willing to break the law already to prorogue Parliament, they might just be willing to break the law again to get them out of, uh, out of the EU, do you reckon? Gonna, I think we're definitely going to leave on October 31st. You reckon? Interesting. Yeah. So at the moment, we should say, uh, Parliament passed a bill uh, before prorogation which said that if the government doesn't have a deal passed by, I think it's the 18th of September, yeah. Uh, October. October, sorry, 18th of October, then Boris Johnson has to write to the European Commission and ask for he an extension. He will not. And as you're hearing from Craig, <laughs> he is absolutely certain that Boris won't do that. He would never do that. No. Boris Johnson said he'd rather be dead in a ditch than no, ask for an extension. So <laughs> um, we'll see, see how that plays out. I also don't think the EU would, would even talk over there of them being saying they're not going to do it. Ah, they always play hardball until yeah. the last minute, though, and then yeah, we'll see, we'll see. But that's, um, that's what's happening in, in, in politics, so it's more crazy times and we'll be uh, picking up where we left off at the Conservative Party next week. But I want to, while we've got you here, Craig, I want to ch- chat a bit about what you do. So tell us about Westminster Digital and uh, what you do and what you've been doing over the last little while. Sure, so Westminster Digital is a social media marketing agency. Um, so we work with a variety of uh, corporates, think tanks, charities and MPs um, doing all social media stuff, so like videos, uh, graphics, um, obviously, we worked on Boris's campaign. We did a lot of the video content that you saw going out on Twitter, mm. things like that. But we also, obviously, we're here at Labour Conference. We also do some Labour MPs, yeah. uh, Tory MPs. We don't do any SMP, actually. Interesting. Um, that's the only one that we don't do. Um, but yeah, so we do all sorts of, you know, um, social media marketing because there's not really, you know, MPs need and and people and it's it's around the Westminster Bobby, you know. Um, Everyone, the key to communication now is social media, mm. uh, and you've got to do it effectively. So many people just put out bad quality content, and, and what they don't realize is that social media now is, is your shop window. Yeah. If I go onto your profile and I see some awful graphics that you've sort of done on Microsoft Word, I just think, oh, they're probably not that great of a company, you know? So um, you've really got to put the best quality stuff out there. What would you say the average standard of MP social media? Uh, produce is at the moment content <laughs> terrible absolutely terrible. Really? Really? yeah it's awful mm. uh, all of the stuff they do uh, you know because and and it's people always assume and I, this is what i find crazy is that you know if we went to an mp and said to them okay could you go and direct a movie and then they came back and it was terrible like we wouldn't be surprised we'd be like of course they can't direct a movie sure. that's not their skill set yeah. but for some reason we expect them to be able to produce social media content mm. you know it's just as complicated yeah, it is a skill um, and and the other thing that tends to happen is that they don't have the staff uh, in their offices who can help them with that and when they do the staff are too busy doing the job of a parliamentary researcher okay. um, you know there's a digital producer and there's a parliamentary researcher those are two different roles and often MPs try and make them be the same person um, so yeah they 
they struggle, but you know that's what we're here for. Give them help. Mm. So, say if I'm an MP, I say Craig, I really need help with social media. You come in. What do you do? Filming? Do you uh, make yeah, videos? Yeah, yeah. So, so if you're doing a standard MP thing, we do put out a video a week. Okay. So uh, one video, um, we just did a big tour of the constituencies. So we'd go up, follow you around, get you, you know, meeting local people, um, whatever campaigns you've got working on. You know, okay. we did one recently. There's a they're trying to build a waste disposal plant near a new housing development. So okay. we did a video of the MPs opposing that and then going out and knocking on doors of the local area and talking to people who also oppose that sort of thing. Um, so those sorts of videos, it's all constituency stuff. It's never, we don't, uh, n with most MPs we don't do political um, stuff. Really? It's always, okay. yeah, it's always constituency, mm. it's always, you know, um, which is why we can then work with Labour and, and Tory and um, Absolutely. You know, Lib sense. Dems yeah. and things because it doesn't matter. As soon as you become elected as an MP, your party is irrelevant. Mm. You are there to serve the people whether they voted for you or yeah. not. Uh, and that will be, you know, um, doing things like, you know, holding surgeries and talking about those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so do you think that, uh, obviously you've got Dominic, Dominic Cummings in as a senior advisor in number 10, and his use of political advertising particularly is largely seen as uh, unfair by a lot of people because uh, of the way he targeted particular voters and was gathering data and analysing it and advertising. You know, some people would say that was just very effective use of political advertising. Yeah. Um, but do you think, from, from your perspective as a, as a business, do you think there should be more limits on what MPs can do and the data they, they can uh, um. I think there definitely needs to be more regulation. Um, it's a very unregulated society, a, a mm. sort of space at the moment, um, and because it, it moves so fast, you know, um, so we've moved on quite a lot since the uh, referendum, uh, when it was just a free for all. Yeah. You know, you were targeting all sorts of people, splashing all sorts of cash, and Facebook made a lot of money. Um, mm. But now you've got, for example, the Facebook ads library where you can go on, and I can see, you know, every advert the Brexit party have put out. All of those things are all public now, um, and that's how we saw that on the day Boris became elected, the Conservatives launched like a thousand adverts targeting various people right um, so yeah there does need to be more um, I think because you know it's not really regulated by anyone at the moment sure. you know if you talk to Ofcom they say oh no we do TV and then if you talk to um, the ICO mm -hmm. they say oh no we only deal with the actual you know uh, data breaches and things like that mm. um, there's no one who's really saying um, for example there was a recent case where and interestingly it's actually the Green Party um, do a lot of targeting at under 18 year olds right uh, and that can be seen as quite problematic because mm. for example you wouldn't you, there's so many things you can't run adverts on children's TV but they are targeting 13 year olds on Facebook wow um, so you know there's and there's no you know they always say all oh, that you know that we've done that by accident or oh, well, right. the Green Party okay. actually do it right but a lot of the parties do um, you know will accidentally target various people like that sure uh, oh, it's not so much the with Labour and the Tories, when they do it, um, it's spillover. So, for example, I target you and you share that mm -hmm. and then 13-year-olds can see it. Got you. All the 13-year-olds okay. follow you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so that sort of way is that's always the spillover and that's always a risk. And then it's, you know, how do we stop? Because, as you say, on TV, children's TV, they never see any of those things. Mm. So how do you stop that? So that's oh, an interesting, interesting one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the, the Green Party do a lot of targeting. Mm. And what would you say um, is political advertising, particularly on social media, is that the most central part of uh, an MP's campaign? See, if you're an MP wanting to get elected next in the next election, whenever it's going to yep. be, is this the thing that you really yeah. need to have this a grip on? This is the new battleground. Social right. media is going to be the biggest war. Okay. You know, um, 
we thought it was big in the 17 election. Mm -hmm. The next election is going to be fought on social media. Interesting. Um, you know, and even if you just look at the simple way of it, you know, um, you can deliver however many leaflets, but I can reach 10,000 people in an hour on yeah. Facebook. Um, and not only that, and this is the key, is that when you are a politician, you do those leaflets, you go on the news, you write a lot of article in the newspaper. All of those people you're reaching are the same, basically, you know, so 75% of the population don't know the name of their local MP, right? Those are the 75% of people we care about if mm. we're running a political campaign. The 25% will pick up the leaflet, they'll watch you on the TV, they'll listen to the radio, you're reaching them already. Okay. But the only way you can reach that 75% of people is through social media. So that's where the real, um, you know, battleground is gonna be. Okay. And are MPs cluing up to this? Do you think there's a um, good uptake of... Well, they understand that they need to be doing it, and that's why they just give it to us. Okay. <laughs> but they don't know. They don't know. Um, no, they know that, that it needs to be done, but they don't really. They don't understand. know how to do it. Interesting. No, no, no. Well, it's just super complicated, and this is what people yeah. always think as well. Yeah. You guys, your guys will know more than anything. Is that there's a very different sort of way of doing things between social media and data targeting mm. and what always happens and this is still happening at the party headquarters is that they say oh social media guys can you do the data targeting <laughs> that no that's so different those are data scientists yeah no party is employing data scientists yet you know and that's where we're going to start moving towards i think is mm. the um the difference between social media and data and targeting things like that so interesting all right so do you therefore if there is so many mps who still don't have a grip on this stuff do you think there's going to be a big turnover of MPs this time if there's, yeah. say, they're running against folk who do actually know what they're talking about? This yeah. be? I think that um, there are a lot of younger people that are running for parliament that mm. not only because the key on social media is authenticity. That is the key. And we saw that with uh, Trump and Hillary, right? Hillary put out some amazing, hilarious tweets. But at no point did anyone think Hillary Clinton was sat there tweeting, right? Yeah. You know, so yeah. as much as you saw and you thought, you know, when she tweeted him and said, "Delete your account," hilarious, love that. Wasn't her, yeah. uh, you know? And so that then, like, sort of puts a bit of a barrier between. Whereas what people like now is the fact that, um, and that's why they they like Trump because they, you know, even when he tweets terrible things with mm. spelling mistakes and you know, all this racist stuff or whatever, it's him doing it. Yeah. And people like to feel directly in contact with the MPs. So, okay. and there's a lot of young candidates coming up that have a real understanding and a real personality that's the one thing I say um, the majority of MPs lack is a personality <laughs> um, and I think on social media that's the one thing you really need so fair enough excellent well good that's been very interesting and I'm sure lots of people have lots of questions and if you do have any questions please do feel free to get in touch you can uh, reach our Twitter account which is DMA underscore UK or you can use the hashtag DMA poll pod um, and or just reach out to uh, us individually. I am at Michael Storick and Craig, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Craig T. Dillon, letter T and then Dylan. Craig, letter T, Dylan. Someone we'll have them Craig all on the, the article as well so you can hear them. Um, and yeah, any questions do get in touch. Next week we'll be dialing in from the Conservative Party conference in Manchester so stay tuned for some extra special guests there. there. Well. Oh, you there as well? We'll, oh, well you can maybe make your second appearance. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see how the audience responds to you and we'll get our data analysts and see if they, yeah, exactly. see if they like you and uh, <laughs> see if you've been authentic enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Excellent. All right, well, thank you very much, Craig and uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you soon. Thank you.